take a distressed property, renovate it and rent it out. And then when you go to refinance it, you pull all of the original funds that you put in out and reinvest it into the next property. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you and how is Sacramento? Oh, I am doing Excellent. (laughs) Probably the best I have been all year long. I'm sitting right now in front of a a window and looking out into a beautiful garden, watching the ducks stroll by. I think I might have even seen a deer go by too uh, earlier, but it's just amazing out here. It's my kind of weather. And Mm. yes, it's it's beautiful. It's like 75 degrees and kids are out playing in the pool and and just loving it. So uh, tell us about the other things because I know you've got a pool, a trampoline, like a big connect four thing and horses. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I told my kids, I'm like, something's wrong with you. (laughs) If you guys tell me if you're you're bored here or ask me if there's anything to do. I've got, I mean, they've got their bikes, their scooters, their cars that they could drive around. I mean, it just, there's horses in the back um, nearby. There's um, a pool, a trampoline. There's like, yeah, life-size Jenga and Connect Four. Um, I don't know. There's a lake down there with fish and turtles. We've been hunting, turtle hunting, which has been fun for for some reason. Turtles like rise to the top. Yeah. So there's so much to do here. We're just having a blast. So So fun. I know it's funny, right? So we're currently in a small town in Oregon and I chose this house because there's literally a creek that runs through the backyard Uh Uh and so we get here we got here a few days ago and the first thing I'm like guys let's go down to the creek let's check out the creek and of course the kids are like I don't want to go down to the creek I'm like are you kidding me are you kidding me right now we're going down to the creek (laughs) Uh, but they're having fun now they um my husband's challenged them to create a dam so they've been gathering sticks and rocks and sort of engineering Uh, the whole thing and so uh it's been so much fun yeah it's so funny because I feel like I'm having more fun too than than the kids are like let's go ride scooters down the driveway like and they're like what I just want to sit around in the house it's hot I'm like no we're going outside we're totally going outside (laughs) exactly well I love that we are both traveling and still working I love this about the business that we've built and our stories and our journey which is so perfect because today we talk with Pollock Shaw she's Mm -hmm. the owner and founder of Open Spaces Capital and Open Spaces Women and her journey so closely mirrors Mm -hmm. our journeys as well and to hear her talk about that overpowering feeling she had when she was driving to work as a mechanical engineer trying to uh, climb the corporate ladder but really hitting the ceiling and really wanting to be at home with her kids and to hear that in her story you know I think so much of that resonates with you and I and Mm -hmm. our stories as well. Yeah and we talked so much about entrepreneurship in the show which I actually wasn't expecting. I thought we were going to talk more about just like real estate and families and stuff, but we talked a lot about, you know, the joys of entrepreneurship and the flexibility and the ability to own your own time and, you know, making the shift as we all did from corporate into entrepreneur, entrepreneurial endeavors, like in real estate. 
great. And it's just been really nice to hear from another woman, another mother, her journey and how she got over that fear. Because, you know, for me, I was so deathly afraid to leave, you know, a good paying job and, you know, one that where it, that's what you're told to do. And I had gotten there. And so it was like, wait, what? Now I'm going to let this go? Like this thing that is supposed to be the thing that you work so hard for to get. Um, and so we just talked about a number of different um, entrepreneurial things that you encounter when you make the shift from being going corporate to, to doing what we do now. And it was, um, it was, a, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about the Burr strategy, which we haven't Mm -hmm. really talked too much about in our previous episodes. Fantastic strategy for being able to build your real estate portfolio. So definitely you guys are going to love this one. Check this out. Here's our conversation with Pollock Shaw. Hey, Pollock. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we are excited to talk to you. Now, Pollock, you've created two powerful real estate brands, Open Spaces Capital and Open Spaces Women. Now, tell us a little bit about your journey into real estate and entrepreneurship. Now, how did you get into it? And was it always something that you had intended to do? Or was it something you sort of fell into by accident? So I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually a mechanical engineer. And I worked in corporate for 17 years. And I thought that was it. That was it was great. I thought, you know, I mean, it's hard work climbing the corporate ladder, but it was fun. I was around smart people making good money traveling all over the world. And real estate came into the picture after we had kids. So my husband and I decided to have kids in our late 30s. And I don't know, things that excited me before didn't seem so great afterwards. And (laughs) I realized that the higher up I wanted to move, the less time I was going to have for my kids. And the big thing was, I don't know, I I felt like we were coached, right, by society, by everybody around us. And I felt like I had been coached completely wrong. I felt like a lie had been sold to me. Like they always say that, oh, wait, wait till you're financially stable to have kids. But it doesn't work that way. (laughs) The higher up you go, the less time you have for family. So um, I asked for flexibility at my work. And that was not a very (laughs) request that was very welcome. So I decided to pursue real estate. So I decided to quit my job. And it was months of turmoil before I could pull the trigger and actually do it. And I still wanted to make an impact. So I started investing in real estate and then um, I created uh, in three years, created our portfolio, which was $4 million. In the first year, I replicated my income and I wanted to tell everyone about it. I wanted to shout from the rooftops and Mm -hmm. especially, I mean, at first I was thinking this is all about, you know, mothers need to really understand the impact and the power of this. But truly, the more I have started teaching this to other people, I have realized that it's not just mothers, it's parents in general who can truly benefit from real estate investing. So Open Spaces Women was born out of that need and desire to help. And that's it. I love so much about your story. It mirrors Julie's and my story so closely. You know, when you have kids, it just changes everything, changes all of your priorities. And so 
You were working as a mechanical engineer for 17 years. I can't even imagine. So you're climbing the corporate ladder. I imagine getting promotions, getting raises. And then you had your kids and your world suddenly shifts. And the part about the, the story that strikes me most is you just say casually, you're like, yeah, I quit my job. And within a year, I was able to replicate my salary. But <laughs> that's huge. So wait, wait, as a mechanical engineer, especially when it's 17 years in, it's not like you're making minimum wage, right? You're probably right. making quite a healthy salary. So walk us through that. First of all, how did you know that real estate was the path you wanted to pursue? And then how were you able to build up quite an extensive portfolio in such a short amount of time? Really great questions. And I actually was pleasantly surprised myself at how much more impact you can have on reaching your potential when you work for yourself as well. Because as an engineer, I always thought of my limit and my ceiling and my potential. It was all based on what my, how my superiors saw me, right? Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to investing and building your own business, you realize that, wait a minute, I can... I can shoot for something way mm. above that now. Mm. Let me backtrack just a little bit. So I have two kids and I had them back to back within a span of less than two years. So after my first child was born, my daughter, I knew something had to change and I, something wasn't making me happy. I knew something had to change. So we started investing in um, uh, real estate on the side. So we would take any bonus or anything any savings, any tax returns, and put them into one property as a down payment. Just and were these put it as single a down family homes? Single family home, buy it, rent it out. Mm -hmm. So we did that a few times. And so I knew that that was a path I would take when I would quit my job, except after I quit, I was making six figures. And so really losing that second income made it difficult to then, you know, have that seed money again and again. So we found the value add investing strategies, the, the birth strategies. So basically what you do is you take a distressed property, renovate it and rent it out. And then when you go to refinance it, you pull all of the original funds that you put in out and reinvest it into the next property. And um, I just ran with it. And I just kept, you know, after the first one and after seeing how it's done and after I cracked the code, I kept repeating it and doing larger projects. And that's how it allowed me to grow fast. So how so did you know that real estate though was like the thing? So Because it sounds like you just kind of was like, oh, I'm going to buy a house. But like, how did you know that like buying a house was like the thing that could lead to all this? Or did you even know that at the time? Because I think a lot of people don't know that, right? And they just, they just think like, I don't know. But so I'm curious to know for you, yeah. was real estate something that you were taught about like in school or your parents invested or how did you, did you read a book? Like how did you <laughs> stumble across like um, real estate investing? You know, we, after my daughter was born, when we did that a couple of times, we just bought rent ready properties and rented them out. Um, I started seeing how much the cash flow was every month and I was managing everything myself. And it truly gave me an insight into how that would work. And I did like a deep dive in finance. And I figured out that if I can learn how the finance world works when it comes to these um, 
single family or small multi-unit rentals, I could really take it to the next level. So that's that's pretty much how I started. My my dad was a developer, but that's in India. That was years ago. Okay. He passed away when I, I was five. So maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I got interested in it. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in your genes. <laughs> so at the point when you were, so you had tried out some of these rentals and you were like, this seems to be working. And to the point where, you know, I think you mentioned there were three or four months there where you knew you were going to quit your job, but you hadn't quite quit your job yet. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about that time, because I know a lot of our listeners are in that place where they're thinking about maybe making a move, but it's, it's scary, right? Going from six figures to all of a sudden not having that steady paycheck. So tell us a little bit more about your experience with that. Yeah, so I think it helped that we had a few rentals and we had some passive income coming. It also helped that I had just had a baby and my daughter was still a toddler and I was thinking about it not just in terms of money. It wasn't just like a financial decision that, hey, I would make more if I quit my job. It wasn't like that. It was, I wanted nobody to tell me how I spent my time. And Mm -hmm. each day that I went to work, when I was going through that turmoil, each day I felt like I shouldn't be here. I should be with my kids. And I didn't want to wait for that to do that 10 years down the line. I wanted that now. So we did a calculation in that, I said, okay, if I kept my kids with me, I would save on childcare. And then I had a little bit of the passive income coming from the few rentals that I had. And I said, okay, if I look at the difference between what I was bringing home um, versus how it would look after I quit my job and, and compared those two, and I had to make a decision on whether I was willing to give up that much amount mm-hmm. for having this life where I could choose how I would spend my time and how I would build the business. It seemed like it was worth it. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because it's only temporary, right? It's not like you leave your job. Like you said, now, you know, the the sky's the limit. I mean, you can, you know, you have so much more earning capacity, but you can do it on your own terms and on your own time. And so thinking, taking that initial leap, I think people need to remember that it's just for a period of time until you build up whatever it is, whether you're pulling equity from your homes and then you're investing in more rentals and growing your portfolio. It's not like the real retirement where you retire and then that's it. And that's all you ever are going to make for the rest of your life. It's just like a temporary cutback until you can grow your portfolio or like you've done and like we've done where we've gotten really serious and jumped into the active side of investing um, and replaced, replaced all of our income. So that's a really good point that you bring up because that is a risk, right? That Mm -hmm. temporary, temporary income that you're going to lose. It's a risk because you Mm -hmm. don't know if you can do what you think you're going to do. So yeah, so being able to take that risk and to be able to take that risk, you have to be really clear on why you're doing it. And I, oh, I feel yeah. like that's that's what really helped me. And my my need to be with my kids was visceral. Like I, every bone in my body told me I had to do this while they were little. And yeah. this time wasn't going to come back if I didn't do it right now. And I was I was tired of, you know, having somebody else decide that just because I wanted to stay home with a sick child meant I wasn't capable of the next level up in promotion, right? Like I was tired Mm -hmm. of somebody telling me that. So all of those factors that really make you realize why you're doing it 
help take that risk that you're talking about, the temporary mm-hmm. setback mm-hmm. That, that you have to face to, to take that step. Yeah. When you are in that position and you're faced with that feeling that you're talking about, it, it's yeah. so so overpowering. And, and for me, it was, it was exactly this. I would describe it so much the same way that you did. Every day I was driving to work and I just had this feeling that, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? I would be like driving away from the house or I'd like drop my kids off at daycare. And I'm like, what am I doing? This feels so wrong. But, and then all these questions come into your mind, like, but this is what everybody does. This is what you're told to do. Like you have kids in three months in, you take them to the daycare and you drop them off and you go back to work. And I, and I didn't know because there was, it wasn't like everybody around me was quitting their, quitting their jobs and doing that. So it was like, how do I know if this is like the right thing? Am I doing this? So there's so much of that. So how did you, you know, gain that like confidence? Because we are talking about a good amount of risk and how did you gain that confidence? Or was it just like, it didn't really matter. And you knew that you had to be with your kids and that was what, what mattered or how how did you get over that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening, mothers who might be listening to this thinking, I do feel that, I do know that, but I'm so scared and I don't even know what to do or where to go from here. And, and how do they get over that? I always joke my story, my confidence story was when I met Annie and she had quit her job, I think like a month before I met her. A week. And before. A week, a <laughs> week before. Oh my God. And I still remember, you know, standing there, we were, it was at this after party thing from a conference we were at and we were standing there talking. I just met her and she said, yep, I just quit my job (laughs) and I have two kids and I just left. And I'm like, you quit? Like, how did you do that? And so I, and, and so for me, it was hearing the story of another woman, another mother, like making that big jump, making that decision. So I want everyone to hear like, you know, for you, how did you get over that? And how did you find that, that confidence to do what you needed to do to get to where you are now? Yeah. You, you bring up a really good point because I didn't have anybody around me who had quit their job, right. whose story I could emulate or who could, I could use as a role model mm-hmm. to replicate their strategy and what exactly they did to do that. Right. So I agree. There's definitely a lack of people doing it. I also tried Googling it. Did you try Googling it before yeah, you quit your job? I, I, I was, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Can I find something that would you know, give me the answers that I'm looking for? And what I realized was everything I found was just there were only two aspects to it. One was whether you should keep your job because I don't know, you find all these studies and God knows who pays for them. But (laughs) all these studies that are little girls whose mothers worked in corporate for their entire lives, grew up and made more money. Mm-hmm. In, compared to the girls who did, right? So there's like this mm-hmm. one extreme aspect. Then mm-hmm. this, th- there's this other side on how when kids don't receive whatever they need, I don't know, love, care, support from their parents when they're such and such age, they grow up and they have all these issues. And so you should stay home. There are only two extremes. There is no middle ground that you can find in the sense that if you want, you can choose a path which would allow you to have the flexibility to be with your kids and still be able to make that impact that you want. So, so, you know, all jokes aside about Googling it, like if you really try to find this, there is no advice that Mm -hmm. is being given that is unbiased. Yeah. It's, you know, these studies are conducted by, I don't know, somebody's benefiting from them, right? So there is no unbiased advice that's being given that would help people truly make the decision on, on how they should be. Um, 
pursuing their path. And, and my yeah. husband calls it the two choice fallacy. Like he's, he, mm-hmm. he wants to write about it. He's talked about it, that there's only two choices mm-hmm. given to us mm-hmm. as, as parents who work in corporate, right? Mm-hmm. One choice is put your kids in daycare and go to mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. or one, one of the, you know, parents has to stay home with the kids. Mm-hmm. There are only mm-hmm. two choices given to us. So he calls mm-hmm. it the, like the two choice fallacy and there's mm-hmm. other options. And mm-hmm. the way to answer your actual question, the way, mm-hmm. I, the way I <laughs> figured out uh, what I was going to do was I talked to people I was close to. Yeah. I couldn't really get the, the answers I wanted from the friends who were still, had, had still pushed through this pain of leaving their children and going to work. And it's very hard mm-hmm. for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, I couldn't really get the answers from them because they, you know, they're pushing through this pain and then c- couldn't get the answers from somebody who's at the same, in the same age group who had quit their job. Cause that wasn't what I wanted to do either. Was someone in the middle. Right. I support my mom financially. So I was talking to her about it, like how things would look if I had, mm-hmm. if I quit my job, because then things would be different for not just for me, but also for her. Mm-hmm. Talk to her. I talked to my husband. And I think the big thing that helps is you really need support from the people who are closest to you to be able mm-hmm. to do this. And, and you have to really sit down and make some choices on how you're going to operate as a single income family until things that you're, trying to do pick up and get to where where you're trying to take them that support is Mm. everything everything yeah julie and i talk about that all the time how we're so fortunate that our husbands are so supportive of this journey that we've been on and same um as you my mom lives with us and so that factored into my decision as well um so that is it that's quite an amazing journey and kudos to you for the courage to put together all those pieces to actually make it happen. Not just sitting with that overpowering feeling of wanting to be with your kids, but still just trudging along like a lot of people do, but actually putting into action um, something that would make be a win-win for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to you as well. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get back to our conversation with Pollock in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. 
We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Pollock Shaw. So I want to talk about your real estate in a little bit more depth now. So I don't think, Julie, have we had anybody on who's really talked in depth about the Burr strategy? Mm -mm. I'm so excited about that. Yeah, yeah, let's dive in. <laughs> yes, let's do it because I think there are some listeners who might be hearing about Burr for the first time. I actually remember the first time that I heard about the Burr strategy was on um, Bigger Pockets podcast, and they didn't even tell me what Burr meant. So I, I was walking the dog. I hear about this amazing strategy, and I go home and I Google it and I spell it like B U R R or something. I'm like the Burr <laughs> strategy, and then thankfully it still came up and is B R. R, R, R. It's always, I always get either too few or too many R's. It was four R's, right? So tell us, Pollock, tell us um, what the birth strategy is and how you've been able to implement it to grow your portfolio so quickly. Yeah, that's where exactly where I found out about the birth strategy the, from Bigger Pockets. I think Brandon Turner was the one who coined mm-hmm. the term birth mm-hmm. strategy. I mean, it has been done for years. I have talked to investors who have 30 years experience and they've been doing the strategy, except it didn't have that name. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this has been done for years. Um, but so, so the birth strategy to just give you like a quick um, for anybody who has never heard of it before is the first letter B stands for buy. You purchase a property that is distressed. Then the next letter R is rehab, renovate it. And then the next is R again. So rent it out and then refinance it and repeat. So when you rent it out, you stabilize the property. And then when you refinance it, you put all, you pull out all of the original funds that you put into the property. And then you keep repeating that cycle again and again. Right. So but the way I approached it was I reached out to investors that had a ton of experience to uh, coach me into the bar strategy itself. But I also hired a business coach, a couple of actually business coaches, and I mm. combined business strategies on scaling with the bar strategy. So what mm. I did was I developed my own framework around the bar strategy because I come from my, that's my background. That's what I did for 17 years is to develop systems and processes to be able to scale any method, any framework. So that's what I did with the bar strategy. So I approached it from the very beginning. I knew that a lot of investors who are implementing the birth strategy are getting their uh, real estate license. They are getting a GC license so they can sub out the projects and do construction on their own. They are doing a lot of DIY. They're doing everything themselves. And that's not how I wanted to do it because I didn't want to quit one nine to five job and just then just jump into another one. Mm -hmm. I had no intention of, I mean, I worked a lot of hours, but I didn't have intentions of uh, again, leaving my children while they were sleeping to go to Home Depot and buy my eyes. So I was very careful about really designing um, the way I was going to implement the strategy around the lifestyle that I wanted. So I implemented it in a different way than how it is implemented in the industry. I was really big on leveraging and analyzing deals and developing methods to do that. And 
um, and, and establishing relationships with um, different people, like, you know, building a really good team of an agent, a contractor, and, and various different experts that you would need to be able to implement a strategy that is so um, immersive and still be able to do it while I don't know, spending, spending a lot of time with the kids. Mm-hmm. My, my kids do spend a lot of time at the job sites though. <laughs> I love well, that. How old are your kids now? They are, my daughter will be six and my son will be four soon. Aww. How much, I'm curious, how much do you teach them about real estate? Um, and what do you think they understand at this point? You know, we keep calling it the business. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much, but, but they, they know everyone that we work with because they have met, met everybody. Uh, my contractor has actually, he has actually worn my son in a baby carrier many times <laughs> while we were Aww. looking at properties. <laughs> Aww, that's so cute. <laughs> As I carry my daughter. <laughs> yeah, we, we've, we've, uh, we've, I've really involved them from the very beginning. I come from a business family. My family uh, from my mom's side has had a furniture business and my mom was a principal in a, in a school, but she also, Uh, sold furniture on the side and she used to involve me all the time in the business Mm -hmm. and I feel like if you're if it just becomes a part of the day-to-day life it becomes Mm -hmm. much more comfortable for the kids like the kids now know that mama is on the phone and I shouldn't interrupt but they do anyway but I'm just saying they (laughs) (laughs) they (laughs) really just making that a part of the day-to-day that's just life now Mm -hmm. yeah I love you know something that you had said that I think is so important for people to hear is that you you didn't want to trade one job for another and I think when people think about getting active into real estate they are afraid that that's what's going to happen not that they're going to trade one job for another but as they buy rentals and acquire rentals they think that it's going to become this whole other you know job that they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis and I think it's really important for people to hear that it doesn't need to be that way and that you can build your lifestyle and your investments around the way that you want to live and around the time capacities that you have. You just need to be mindful about the way that you're doing it. And like you said, you created a framework that, you know, that allowed you to, to still achieve all the things you wanted to achieve, but still be with your family. And that's something that Annie and I are so intentional about in everything mm-hmm. that we do when we think about new ventures we're going to get into, um, new projects we're going to do. We're always asking that question is, is this, how much time is this going to take? And is this the direction we want to go so that we are able to maintain our lifestyle and not have, you know, left our jobs to, to just have a new one. And that's why, you know, Annie and I are now coming to you guys live from our travels and, you know, Annie's in Oregon and I'm up North in Sacramento. And, but it's just so important, I think for people to hear that because you can get, you can do this, you can get into real estate and do it in a way that allows you the flexibility and the freedom while you're still growing your cash flow and replacing your your nine to five if that's what you wanted to do. So yeah, yeah and I think that what you said is so important because there's so much noise about mm-hmm. hustle and grind and and it's not that you don't yes. work hard. You know, as mothers or parents who have children and who want a life outside of whatever entrepreneurship venture or investing they're into, you still work hard. Like I've worked many late nights and spent a lot of time at job site, but, but it, it is intentional and it is a choice that we've made, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be something that is as set in stone as a nine to five job. 
Yeah. And I think it allowed, you know, this lifestyle that we've built has allowed us to say, okay, like, yes, the hustle and the grind, that story is so overplayed. I fell into that trap. I still am a part of that where I feel like I have to work all the time to be meaningful and to have like, you know, to feel successful. I have to work, work, work. And earlier this year, Annie and I went into 2020 and we said that we were not going to work every one day a week, you know, and so that we, and it's been tough. It's been so hard. I've had to fiercely protect that one day and say no, 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 over and over again. Um, but to have that flexibility to be able to do that, I think um, is important to, to remember that you can build, that, that's, that's one of the benefits of this is that you can build that time into your days right. and into your weeks to, to have downtime. But you're right. If you're a hardworking person by nature, it becomes mm -hmm. so difficult to stop as an entrepreneur right. because you don't yeah. have a desk somewhere else you can you know do just as much work from wherever you are so it's very hard to stop and I agree yeah. with you I have to constantly remind myself and make these mm -hmm. decisions on a weekly basis like hey this mm -hmm. week I have to stop on this day and at this time I agree mm -hmm. with you yeah. And then especially like we have a crew of eight when it comes to construction, we've, I've got three or four people who at any given point are helping me run different aspects of the business and then mm -hmm. keeping them going, it becomes really difficult to cut yourself out of that and just be like, it's fine. They can handle it. <laughs> uh -huh. So are you guys, is that what you do now is just the burr strategy or? Okay. Okay. So you're just doing that on a very large scale. Like how many are you doing in a month or in a year? I took a six month soft break starting December to focus mm -hmm. on my health. So I'm just picking it back up now. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit slower than usual. But last year, we, for example, last year we finished a 10 unit project and then picked up two duplexes and a single like all in the span of like four months. Okay. Um, and so, so that's, that's kind of like the range that we're looking at. We'll also do return on equity analysis on our properties and then sell some and buy some more and kind of keep moving things around. So it doesn't really go into a very structured pattern, like linear. Mm -hmm. It kind of uh, goes in ebbs and flows, <laughs> if mm -hmm. that makes any sense. And are these properties that you're buying, are they nearby you where you live or are you doing this out of state? I live about an hour away, 45 minutes to an hour away from where um, the properties are currently. I have set it up so I don't don't have to go to the job site or even though we keep property management in house, um, I've set it up so I don't have to go to the job site. I have acquired properties while we were visiting family in India. I have set up systems and processes around it. So it's wow. possible to do that. So I operated like an out-of-state investing business. That's so nice though that you can do it. Like I wish we could invest that close. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if we can invest even like a few hours plane ride away. It's so hard to find opportunities out here on, on the West Coast. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. yeah. So really quick before we transition, I do want to ask, I want everyone to hear about what Open Space Women or Open Spaces, open spaces women? women. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that because I'm so intrigued about why you started that. That sounds so much in line with, with why Annie and I came together and created Good Egg. Um, but tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, Open Spaces Women, I founded that last year specifically to help other women do what I'm doing okay. um, and, and, and really made it into a structured small group cohort kind of a setting because I felt like you really learn a lot as a small group. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to work directly with people so that they, they could have that accountability and the support that you need from a 
coach or a mentor mm-hmm. that I didn't have when I first right. started. So a very immersive, small group uh, experience that goes on for three months. And I work with that group from start to finish. And they kind of, they start becoming each other's cheerleaders and they empower each other mm-hmm. to really take it to the next level even after they graduate. Mm-hmm. So that's how we started it last year. And then um, this year, actually, my husband is now full-time in the business oh, as well. Nice. And uh, yeah, and so what I realized last year is that investing is more and more um, something that a couple takes a decision on because you know, it's, it's building wealth mm-hmm. for your family. So we, we made it, even though we're still calling it open spaces, women, at some point, we should probably rebrand it. It's uh-huh. not just for women. It's for, uh, we don't discriminate based on <laughs> anything, basically. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I started it. Okay, cool. And is it, are you teaching folks in the program how to do the Burr strategy and how that's to build out the systems and, and all of yeah. that? Yeah. So uh, running the way we run the business, you, you know, implementing the board strategy with keeping systems and processes and scaling a portfolio in mind. So that's what I teach so that somebody in my shoes can, you know, take, take this process and implement the framework. Because even though now I can run the business in like about less than three hours a day, mm-hmm. it's not how I started, right? So if I can mm-hmm. give somebody that complete blueprint, they could just take it and implement it. So they don't have to do all of the shooting arrows in the dark and trying out different things that I had to do. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important, like, and I don't know, people may or may not have missed this, but one big thing about the birth strategy and what it allows you to do is to take a big chunk of money that you have and basically build create many streams of passive income while you're just recycling that same money over and over and over again. So anyone who's listening, who's like, maybe you have, you know, a a few hundred thousand dollars to play with. Maybe you only have a hundred thousand dollars to play with. You can take this strategy and build multiple streams of passive income by using that same amount of money that you have over and over. And I think that's so, that's the amazing thing about the birth strategy is that you can literally do this with a, a small chunk of change or a big chunk of change and just rinse and repeat and, right. and build these multiple streams of income. Exactly. So, I love that. All right. So I, I know we're at time. Let's run into the investing for good impact round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. Right. Um, so the first question is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? So yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. I think we talked about it a little bit. So I'm an immigrant, right? As an immigrant, a person of color and, and a woman, right? Or all of those three. I feel like I had the tendency to make my vision for my future fit the reality I was in. So, mm-hmm. you know, as, as an engineer, I kind of started, and I think we mentioned this, I talked about this before too, is like, I started making my judgment on why, what my potential was based on how my superior saw me. Mm-hmm. Being in business for myself and being an investor, what that is doing for me is that it's making me see myself as having a higher potential. And now I know that I have, you know, only sky's the limit to what I can actually do. Mm -hmm. So that's the one of the biggest 
change that it has given me. Yeah, entrepreneurship is just wild. I mean, it's just been so much fun for for me and for Annie. We love it. I mean, we thrive on this. Um, you know, and then the impact piece too. We get up every morning and <laughs> get to do fun stuff like this, and you know, help our coaching clients and our investors. And it's just that in and of itself is so much more valuable to me than any amount of money we could ever make. I mean, that that for us is like everything and why we do everything that we do is just to be able to get up every day and make that impact. So okay. I love it. Okay. Second question is investing in others. So what is one investment strategy or hack, investment hack that you might be able to share? The Burr strategy is an amazing one. So I know people are already walking away from this with a, with a great strategy, but what's something else that you might be able to share with the audience that'll help them catapult? hold their investing journey. One little piece of advice that I would give anybody who's trying to get started is just start. You just have mm-hmm. to start somewhere. It's mm-hmm. I would say whether it's the bar strategy or another strategy, I feel like any strategy is better than no strategy at all. So I mm-hmm. would just give something a shot and, mm-hmm. and start somewhere instead of letting all of the noise that's out yep. out there paralyze you. Yeah, you got to get out there and just do it. You know, you got to fail forward is what I was reading on a blog somewhere or something the other day. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so many successful people, I think we often forget about yeah. the failures that so many successful people have had along the way. Um, and so even if you get out there and it doesn't work out, it's okay because the failing is, the, is part of the journey to the road Absolutely. to success, you know, so yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. And you get more and more comfortable with failing. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you do. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, last question is investing in the world. So what is one way that your investments are helping to make the world a better place? Yeah, I'm really glad you have this question here because I truly believe that social impact and profitability, they can go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're always trying to balance those. I'll, I'll give you two, two examples. So the first one is uh, related to our partners. So mm-hmm. we work with a diverse team um, from anything from realtors, contractors, cleaners, photographers. And, you know, we, we, I give preference to diversity in all of my partners, whether it is women, people of color, sexual orientation, nationality. We make sure that all of our partners are paid well, especially when it comes to a contractor. You got to make sure that if they're hiring subs, they're getting paid well because mm-hmm. it is not only socially the right thing to do, it also helps you build a team that's loyal to you because mm-hmm. they're getting you know, paid well, and mm-hmm. it helps build businesses together. And that in turn helps build a community. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one. And then the second piece is related to our tenants. So in Philadelphia, overall, there is an affordable uh, housing shortage, wherein two thirds of the landlords don't accept Section 8 vouchers. And when they do, there are a lot of predatory practice practices in the sense that the properties are not upgraded or tenants are not treated well. So what we do is we uh, accept Section 8 vouchers, but then we also improve those properties the same way that we would improve any other property with granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, all of that. And then we track our maintenance requests to make sure that they are being given great service. So we treat our the, the property management, we treat it like a hospitality business and treat our tenants really, really well. So those are like the two ways that I think we, we try to balance um, social impact and uh, profitability. Does, does that help? Is that what you're yeah. asking? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's amazing. That community piece. I mean, you're just paying it forward. And, you know, just like us, you know, we didn't get into this for the money piece. It's for that Mm -hmm. impact piece. And it's clear you're making that impact everywhere you can. I love that you're putting in granite countertops. So many people, so many investors who are in it mainly for the returns would say, well, why would you put granite countertops? You're you're not going to get your return on that investment in those neighborhoods. But I love that you we're paying it forward and showing those residents, you know, the life that they could have and giving that to them now. And so, uh, there's just so much about your journey. That's oh, go ahead. I was saying that I've heard that before is like the granite countertops and all of that doesn't have a, a good return on investment. But actually, if I look at the numbers, it's actually also great from that perspective because tenants who are treated well, they stay longer they keep the property in good condition. And when they leave, the unit turns take much less time. So we have lower vacancy. And so all of that leads also to good return on investment. If you were yeah. just looking at it from a numbers perspective. I love it. Okay. Well, Pollock, we've talked a lot about your journey, but there's so much more to explore. So tell our listeners if they wanted to connect with you to learn more about the birth strategy or all that you're doing. And uh, I know you've got a summit coming up as well. Tell us a little bit about that and where they can go to learn more about you and all that you're doing. Fantastic. Yes. The Portfolio Builder Summit is coming up. It is specifically for investors who want to uh, build a rental portfolio. We don't have the details yet, but you can go to my Instagram page um, at Open Spaces Women. The handle is still Open Spaces Women. So go to Open Spaces Women and we'll be posting updates about the summit. It's sometime near the end of September. Fantastic. And then if people wanted to learn more about Open Spaces Capital um, or Open Spaces Women, is Instagram the best place to go? Best way. Yeah. Instagram is my jam. Open Spaces Women. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Pollock Shaw, owner and founder of Open Spaces Capital and Open Spaces Women. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and your wisdom with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.